And I'm going to read uh, from the beginning of Genesis 27 um, down to 28, verse 9, uh, to get the context. But we'll be focusing again the message on, uh, on 2730 um, to 28, verse 9. This is the word of our Lord. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. He said, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me some game. Prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth, and the smooth part of his neck. And she put delicious food and bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So she, he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and, the, and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. 
As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to him, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about, about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay there with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like, like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then, Jacob called ja sorry, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, God Almighty, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that, you may, uh, that he, he may make you a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. He went to Badanaram to Laban, to the son of Bethuel, to the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob. And he went away to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that he blessed him, that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. 
So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage of Scripture, we see here your sovereign grace. We see predestination. We see one who has been predestined for eternal life, and we see one who has been predestined for eternal death in hell. Lord, as we look at this passage, as we, as we see the, the lives of Jacob and Esau, as we see the fruit of the lives of Jacob and Esau, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see you more clearly. We pray that you'd help us to see your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace. We pray also that you'd help us to see your justice and your righteousness, your holiness and your wrath. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see ourselves in the light of who you are, that we might respond to you in loving faith and obedience. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week we're picking up where we left off last week. Isaac, thinking that he was on his deathbed, told Esau to go hunting to bring him some game and to prepare it for him so that he would bless him. And so Isaac had sought to bless his firstborn son Esau, even though the Lord had declared that the older would serve the younger. Rebekah had overheard Isaac's instructions, and instead of praying, instead of reasoning with Isaac from the word of God, she, that this was against God's will, she took matters into her own hands, and she plotted with Jacob to deceive Isaac into thinking that Jacob was Esau so that Jacob would get the blessing instead. And so Rebekah told Jacob to get two young goats, which she would prepare in the way that Isaac liked it. And Jacob's only concern was that he would get got. But Rebekah took steps in order to avoid that from happening. She dressed Jacob in Esau's clothes and, and put goat skins on Jacob's hands and on his neck in order to, to, make, to, to make Jacob feel and smell like Esau. So Jacob joined with his mother in deception. He lied to his father and even blasphemed in the process, telling him that he was actually Esau. And Isaac, in his blindness, was deceived. And Isaac blessed Jacob. In chapter 27, verses 27 to 29, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And so Jacob receives the blessing just as the Lord had decreed in his divine oracle. But he received it by deception, through lying. Last week we spoke about how this seems paradoxical to us, how, how a holy God can use the, the sinful actions of men and women to achieve his ends. 
may seem paradoxical, but God, who is sovereign over all, is, as we saw, free to use secondary means, even the actions of sinful men and women to achieve his will, and he is still never the author of sin. What they do, they do according to their own sinful will. Sidney Grudana says it like this, God can use even human deception to accomplish his plan of covenant blessing to the younger Jacob. God can use even human deception to accomplish his redemptive plan. This is a comfort. This is a comfort to the people of Israel as they received these words, as they were, were about to enter into the promised land out after their wilderness wandering. It's a, it's a, it's a, 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 it gives them confidence that, that the sovereign God's redemptive plan cannot be derailed. That God, by his grace, will care for his people, that he will protect his people. God uses the sinful actions of Rebekah and Jacob to transfer the covenant blessing from Isaac to Jacob. And as Isaac will say in a moment, and Jacob will be blessed. However, as we'll also see, there are consequences. And the consequences for Jacob are going to begin almost right away when Esau finds out what's happened. And even worse, we'll see in later chapters that, that Jacob himself will be deceived and deceived in extremely grievous ways. But through it all, God will discipline Jacob. And so here we'll see that, that God blesses those he chooses in spite of their sin, even though he disciplines them. And through Esau's response, we'll see the counterpoint that God curses those he rejects in spite of their grief, even though they do penance. So these are the main points that we're going to see. On the one hand, God blesses those he chooses in spite of their sin, even though he disciplines them. And on, on the other side, as we'll see through Esau, God curses those that he rejects in spite of their grief, even though they do penance, even though they do acts of penance. So again, last week we saw in verses 1 to 4, we saw Isaac's rebellion. And then in verses uh, 5 to 13, we saw Rebekah's ruse. And then in 14 to 29, Jacob's robbery. Well, this week we're going to see in verses 30 to 41, Esau's rejection. Esau's rejection. And then in verses 42 to 28, 5, we'll see Jacob's run. Jacob's run, and then finally, and, and briefly, in verses 6 to 9, we'll see Esau's remarriage. So first of all, Esau's reaction in verses 30 to 41. Verse 30, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from hunting. So imagine the scene. Jacob leaves the tent just in time. What would have happened if, if Esau saw Jacob leaving the tent with, with, his, with Esau's clothes on and, and, with, and with goat hair on his neck and on his hands? It probably would have been lights out for Jacob right then and there. We're seeing God's providence. This is being highlighted, the fact that even the timing of this is under the sovereign hand of God. God is protecting Jacob even though he doesn't deserve to be protected. 
Esau enters the tent with, with the, the, the delicious food, uh, oblivious to what has just transpired. He says to Isaac, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And Isaac responds, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Now, Isaac had just heard those words spoken by Jacob. Now he responds by, by trembling violently. He, he literally shook in response. Why? Why does he shake? James Boyce says, The light began to dawn within the soul of the blinded patriarch with the realization that he had tried to box with God, had been defeated, and that he would always be defeated unless he surrendered his errant will to the Almighty. God had said, I'm going to, that the older is going to serve the younger. God had set out to, to bless Jacob. But Isaac's going out on his own. He's saying, I'm going to disregard what God has said, and I'm going to do what I want. We talked last week about the way that, that Esau was deceived. He was deceived because of his, his preference for his son, Esau. He was deceived by, by his, his appetite for the food. That He was, he was deceived because of, of, he was going following tradition instead of following the word of God. He was deceived, but he realized in this moment, he's beginning to understand what has happened. And so he's beginning to submit now to God's will. I wonder, have you ever tried to box with the Almighty? It's, it's a, I mean, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? We think, I would never do anything like that. I would never try to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe against God. But you do. Every time you seek your own will, Instead of God's, you are standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with God, or attempting to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with God in your rebellion against Him, in your rebellion against His will. Your errant will, too, must be submitted to the Almighty, always. And that submission doesn't even begin to take place until the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration in your heart, until He gives you a, a new heart. As, John said in, as Jesus said in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that, that work of, of submission doesn't even begin until this Holy Spirit's work in your heart takes place. But, but we need to be honest and realize that, that we still too easily follow and fall into sin. And this is still rebellion. May God help us to continually and daily submit our will to him by the work of his spirit in our hearts. Again from James Boyce. Before any great work of grace, there must be an internal earthquake. There must be the internal earthquake that Isaac experienced. If you are not God's, the earthquake must come and your own ways must crash to destruction before it. If you do not submit to Christ, in repentance and faith, you are doomed. You, you, will, you will never experience his favor. You cannot, as we'll see, we can't, you cannot do anything to undo what you've done in the past, nor can you do anything to earn his favor in the future. You must simply cast yourself on his grace. So Isaac realizes that it was Jacob all along who brought the meal to him, and he was blessed. 
And so again, Isaac now affirms, yes, and he shall be blessed. He's realizing that this blessing is binding. He can't undo it, that God is the one who is doing it. Isaac is submitting to God's will. And we think, wow, well, he really blew it, and he did. But, but Hebrews 11.20 exonerates Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Though we'll see this blessing on, on Esau is really an, an anti-blessing. Now it's, it's Esau's turn for an intense reaction. It parallels, parallels that of his father. Esau cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Esau had come into the tent asking for the blessing. Now he's begging for the blessing. But there's only one covenant blessing, and that's been conferred already. To Jacob, Esau reply, or sorry, Isaac replies, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Jacob has acted deceitfully. Again, Jacob will know what it means to be deceived and he will find out in very appalling ways. And Esau understands the suitability of Jacob's name, which, which means heel grabber or deceiver. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Now notice that, that Esau conveniently leaves out the part about selling his birthright for the bowl of soup. Yet again, the hunter has fallen into Jacob's trap. Esau asks again, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac explains again that the blessing is gone. Jacob will be blessed positionally and materially. Jacob is going to be Lord over Esau, and Jacob is going to receive an abundance of grain and wine. There's no blessing left. Esau begs again. He asks, he, 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 he weeps, he says, that he's, he's crying out for, for mercy here, in, in a sense. But as we'll see, he's not, he, he's, not, he's not repentant. He's not repentant. It's the consequences that are troubling him. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Now, you know, I understand that, the, that you might begin to feel some pity for Esau. You know, here he's... he's He's lost again. He's been duped twice. You might want to feel sorry for him, but, but don't forget that Esau has despised his birthright and losing the blessing is part of the consequence of his sin. Again, he's crying because of the consequences. His tears are not the tears of repentance. Listen to John Calvin. The mind of Esau was affected with no sense of, of penitence, repentance, it appears like this. He accused his brother and took no blame for himself. But the very beginning of repentance is grief felt on account of sin together with self-condemnation. Esau, Calvin says, ought to have descended into himself and to become his own judge. Instead, he judged his brother and fed his seething rage. Friends, in, in every conflict that you experience, every human conflict, there are two sinners involved. Your sin and, and the sin 
of the person who you believe is opposing you. I wonder in those senses, of, in those times of conflict, are you more aware of, of your sin or the sin of, of the person who you believe is opposing you? Now, if, if you are walking in repentance, the, 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 the sinner you'd be focused on is you. But how often in our, in our conflicts, so you did this and you did that, there, there, there's, it's, 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 you need to focus on yourself. If you remember when, when Jason taught us so well about marriage a, a few years ago at, at our family camp, he, he spoke about the fact that it's like, it's like it, it, see this especially in marriage, that, that people like to have the whiteboard over their, their spouse's head. And on that whiteboard is a, is a list of all the things that they've done wrong. And, and so when they look at their spouse, they see that list. What they need to do is, is look over, over their own heads and see their sin. I think about when, when I was a child and, and my brother would annoy me and, and I would retaliate, taking it up several notches. And my parents would say, you need to go to your brother and apologize. And so I'd say to my brother, well, I'm sorry I did that, but you shouldn't have annoyed me. Did you ever do that? There, there, this was anything but repentance. There is no but in repentance. Again, you need to be primarily aware of your own sin. Deal with that. The golden rule says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, 12. You are not responsible for the actions of others. Be responsible for your reactions. And Esau's reactions are about to get a whole lot worse. Esau, again, is, he's, he's displaying worldly grief, and his, his behavior proves it. Re repentance, remember, is a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. We talked about this from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 7, verses 10 and 11 on Wednesday night. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. That worldly grief and godly sorrow God, they, they appear the same quite often at the beginning. There could be, be, be like a, a, a real a severe outpouring of emotion. But real repentance shows itself in its fruit. Chapter, or verse 11, goes on to talk about the fruit of repentance. It's a turning from sin. It's an eagerness to clear yourselves. It's indignation. It's, it's, a, it's a desire to right the wrong. Remember the, the warning not to be like Esau in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. It also serves an, as an indictment against Esau. See to it that no one is unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. You know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place to repent, though he sought it with tears. These were crocodile tears. His tears were because of the consequences. They were not the tears of grief at offending a holy God and sinning against another person in his selling of his birthright. He showed that he despised his birthright and really that he despised God. There's no repentance here. His, his losing of the blessing is a result of his, of his rejection of the birthright. But he begs, he weeps, but it's to no avail. And so Isaac now pronounces what amounts to an anti-blessing, almost a curse in verses 39 and 40. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. 
By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. There's no mention of the Lord's blessing here. Esau and his people will live in a parched and infertile land. Edom, what is in modern Jordan, it's a barren wilderness. Like Ishmael, Esau is going to be a rogue. He's going to live by the sword. He's going to serve his brother, but there will come a time when, when he will eventually break the yoke. We spoke about this, if you remember, a few weeks ago. We'll, we'll come back to it, it later. But, but in 400 years, when the, the children of Israel are, had, had fled from Egypt, they wanted safe passage through the land of Edom. So they approached the king of Edom. But he refused and even mustered an army against them in Numbers 20, verses 14 to 21. And then a thousand years after that, the Edomites are going to help Babylon destroy the walls of Jerusalem and to plunder the city and to slaughter the Israelites in Ezekiel 35 and other places. And then later again, they're going to actually gain their freedom through rebellion against Jehoram, king of Judah, 2 Kings 20 verses, uh, rather 8 verses 20 to 22. And, and so here we, we see with this, with this divine oracle, we see that, that even, though, even though Isaac's eyesight is failing, he can see the future quite clearly through the Lord's revelation. And so now Esau shows more fruit. He hates his brother because of the blessing. He plans to murder his brother after his father's death. This is a, a strong parallel to, to Cain and Abel that we read about in, in Genesis chapter 4. As further evidence that Esau does not belong to the promised seed of the woman, but is of the seed of the serpent. In a moment, we're going to see that, that Rebekah loathes her life because of Esau's pagan wives. And here Esau loathes Jacob's life because of Jacob and Rebekah's deception. So now in, in verse 42 to uh, chapter uh, 28, verse 5, we see Jacob's run. Rebekah finds out that Esau is planning to murder Jacob. So again, she acts decisively, but again, she also asks, acts deceptively. She tells Jacob, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Again, she had a plan. And again, she, she calls Jacob to obey. Now, therefore, my son, verse 43, Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, and Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? So, so she tells Jacob to flee to Padanaram, to her brother Laban. And the English doesn't pick this up, but, but the, the sense here when she says a while, it's, the sense is actually that it's, it's for a few days. For a few days until Esau cools off. Then I'll send for you. But that never happens. She never sends for Jacob. Jacob was going to live 20 years in Padanaram. Another consequence for their sin. And so Rebekah will, in a sense, lose Jacob, her favorite. She'll never see him again in this life. 
Yeah, Jacob's going to be in Padanaram for 20 years, 20 years of hard labors. We'll see, this is another consequence. I'd already alluded to the deception that Jacob is going to experience in his lifetime, but in another incidence of impersonation. But this time, it's not a second-born son for a first-born son, but a, but a first-born daughter for a second-born daughter. As Laban switches Leah for Rachel on Jacob's wedding night. It's horrific. And later, Jacob, whose arms and neck were, were covered with the skin, with goat skins to deceive his father, will be deceived by his own sons as they dip the robe of his favorite son, Joseph, in goat's blood to convince, to convince Isaac that Joseph has been killed by wild animals. There, there's a consequence here, and it fits the crime. Jacob the deceiver is going to be deceived horrifically. But God is going to use all of this to discipline Jacob. And through this, as we talked about with the kids, we're, we're going to see Jacob grow. Again, he's going to sin, still sin grievously. But his growth is going to be clearly evident throughout the rest of Genesis. Now, I don't know about you, but this really encourages me. It, it encourages me because it helps me to remember that, that God is at work in the hearts of his people, even me. It helps me not to judge the story by the middle. It, it helps me to, to know that God isn't finished with me yet, but he's going to continue to help me overcome my sin. It also helps me as I see sin in others around me. It, it helps me to remember that, that, that God's not finished with them either, I, that I don't need to judge their story by the middle. Because God, God is still at work in their lives. It, it helps me to see God's hand in the midst of trials. As, as I see in those trials that, that, that God is using them, that my Heavenly Father is, is disciplining me, is shaping me and molding me into the image of Christ. Consider the reminder of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. It's a, a quote from Proverbs 3. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. But even more than all of this, as I see the life of Jacob, it helps me to see that, that in the course of trials, that God is driving me towards Christ, helping me to run to him. As Charles Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So there's many lessons here for for us as well, not just for the people of Israel who first received this. There's, there's principles when we see the way that God deals with his people. But Rebecca isn't finished scheming yet. Victor Hamilton says, Rebecca's first plot is to get Esau's blessing away from Esau. Now her second plot is to get Jacob away from Esau. And so again, she, she needs Jacob to flee to Laban. Yet, as Derek Kidner explains, he must not go as a fugitive but with his father's backing and to the shelter of her family. And Isaac must preferably suggest the idea himself. And so Rebekah goes to Isaac, but, but she says nothing to Isaac about Esau's plans of revenge, remarkably. This is a very dysfunctional family. She says to Isaac, 
I loathe my wife, my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Kinder continues, For this, her broaching the subject of Jacob's marriage was a master stroke. It played equally on Isaac's self-interest and its principles. Rebecca's diplomatic victory was complete, but she would never see her son again. Isaac was convinced by, by the story that, that, that Rebecca told. Yes, there is a sense in which, in which she wants, she wants uh, Jacob to go and, and to get married as well, but, but her primary purpose for doing this is not for him to find a wife, but to protect his life. And Isaac is convinced. Remember from the end of chapter 26, Esau's Hittite wives made life bitter for Isaac too. And so he called Jacob in 28.1. And again, he blessed him and instructed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Badanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So he blesses Jacob. And he tells him not to marry a Canaanite woman. He, he sends him to, to Laban to, to find a wife for himself. And there are some parallels. I, I trust that it reminds you uh, of the story of Abraham sending a servant to find a wife for Isaac to the same region, to Badanaram. There's, there's parallels here. No Canaanites. Marry one of our people. But this time, even though Isaac was instructed never to leave Canaan, Jacob here is being sent out of Canaan. And furthermore, the source is, is specific. He's to marry the daughter of Rebekah's brother Laban. He's going to marry his first cousin, making his uncle his father-in-law. Such arrangements seem odd and, and even distasteful to us, but we need to understand that the children of of opposite sex siblings marrying is actually common in, in many cultures around the world, even common today. But that's not all Isaac says. In verses 3 and 4, he continues to bequeath the covenant patriarchal blessing to Jacob. And again, this is not a, a different blessing from the one that, that Jacob had received earlier, but it's, it's supplemental to it. Like we saw in the blessing that was given to Abraham. The blessing expands and becomes more specific. And we'll see later on, this blessing is going to be repeated and amplified later on as well. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Isaac here is invoking the name of God Almighty, El Shaddai, the, the name that is clearly associated with the blessing that was given to Abraham, especially in, in 17.1. This is expressly the, the blessing of Abraham. It is the same blessing that's being passed down. And the same elements of the Abrahamic blessing are present here as well. The God Almighty bless you with many offspring, that the blessing of Abraham would be given to your offspring, and that you would take possession of the promised land that God gave to Abraham. Those three components are here in this blessing again. But including in this blessing also are the elements that were given to Adam and to Noah to be fruitful and multiply. The same words. It's the same blessing. This patriarchal blessing is being passed on from, from Adam to, to Noah 
and on down through Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. And this blessing to be fruitful, multiply, is partially fulfilled in Exodus 1, as the peop- uh, 1 7, as the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. This is a, a partial fulfillment of that blessing. Now, this time, Isaac is fully aware that he's blessing Jacob. Now, this in no way justifies what Jacob has done. It only demonstrates that Jacob is the Lord's chosen recipient of the blessing. This reveals again one of the, the dangers of, of using narratives in Scripture as, as prescriptive, describing how one should act. We need to rely on, on other clear passages and, and direct commands and principles that, that show us how we should act and how we can interpret the events in the narratives. By repeating this, this blessing, Isaac is providing a point of assurance for Jacob in the trials that are about to come. And again, this is going to be a comfort for Israel in the trials that they're going to face in entering the promised land after their wilderness wanderings. So again, Isaac is fully aware of the fact that he's blessing Jacob. He he knows full well what what he's doing. And here we we see that that even though he is blessed, we're seeing, we're seeing it not in any way to, to say we should do this, but, but in a way that we should respond to God's grace. Alan Ross says, God's people who know God's will must not stoop to deceptive, manipulative schemes to gain spiritual success, but must strive to achieve God's will righteously. You must never seek even good spiritual ends through, the, through deceptive means. I think a, a lot of the, the, the seeker-sensitive movement is, is actually using deceptive means. To, it's like a bait and switch. Come in for this and we'll slip the gospel in here. It's kind of a sleight of hand. But in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. If you want to achieve spiritual ends, you use them. You use spiritual means to achieve them. But even when you don't, even when you fail in this, God's grace, God's mercy still prevails. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away to Badanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, uh, Jacob's and Esau's mother. He wouldn't be back for another 20 years. Well, finally, and briefly, let's turn our attention to Esau. In verses 6, six to 9, we see Esau's remarriage. After Jacob had obediently and fearfully left, Esau sees that Jacob has received the blessing. And he realizes that he has grieved his parents with his pagan marriages. And it's, it's a real wonder that they had not told him how disappointed they were that he should have done that in the first place. But anyway, Esau now tries to connect the dots. And he says, okay, Jacob gets the blessing and Jacob goes to marry someone from the family. Okay, I get it. Now I've got to do the same thing. So he goes to Ishmael and marries, uh, yeah, and now adds Mehalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth, to, to his polygamous family. He, he's attempting here to foolishly redeem himself in his father's eyes by marrying inside the family. 
But, but in, in so doing, it's, it's really clear to us who are looking from the outside that we can see that, that what he's really doing is he's now linking himself with someone else from, from the rejected line, from Ishmael. He's further emphasizing the fact that, that he is not of the chosen people of God. Now in, verse, in chapter 36, 3, we see Mahalath is also referred to as Basimath. But if you remember from 26, 34, He's already married another Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Now, I don't know about this. I, I get confused. I have two sons, and I mix up their names all the time. I can't imagine having two wives with the same name. Well, I can't imagine having two wives at all, but, but having two wives with the same name, it's, it's crazy. But far more than that, he's adding to his disobedience. This is further disobedience to the Lord. And he's trying to do penance. He's trying to earn forgiveness. Something no one can ever do. You cannot earn forgiveness from anyone, especially from God. You cannot earn forgiveness by stopping sinful behavior. You, you can't earn forgiveness by, by trying to do, do the right thing from now on. You can only receive forgiveness as a gift of grace. The only way to receive forgiveness of God is by turning from your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, God the Son. This is the only way to earn forgiveness because of Christ earning forgiveness for you. It's all of grace. It could do nothing to earn forgiveness. Only He who bore the guilt of His people on the cross can take away your guilt. Only he who lived a perfectly righteous life out of love for his heavenly Father and for his people can credit righteousness to your account. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It has all been done for you by Christ. Now we're going to hear more from Esau later on. His part of the story isn't over, but he's never going to really get it. He'll never repent of his sins. And so he will remain under the wrath of God. God blesses those he chooses in spite of their sin, even though he disciplines them. God curses those he rejects despite their grief, even though they do penance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that in this passage, we see who you are. We see your dealings with humanity, both your dealings with your, your chosen people, as well as your dealing with those who you have rejected. Lord, I pray that all of us who are here this morning would turn from our sins and walk in faith and obedience. Lord, that we would, all of us, flee to Christ from the wrath to come. We pray this in the only name that saves, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.